started this, we began the discussion about light and darkness and really being able to understand that when people saw Jesus, they saw something that made them uh, go towards him. And sometimes it's confusing to us because we're not quite sure what did they see because we weren't there. Um, but it's pretty clear that when we read through the scriptures that it, one, one, it was visible, something that they saw on him. And then John kind of brings us to that at the beginning of the, of the gospel of John, chapter 1. He says that the life of Jesus, that effervescent, fluorescent, you know, nuclear-powered life that he had was visible to other people around him. And we discussed how that was perhaps perceived by some of the people in the gospel record. And then Pastor Alex sort of took over for us the last couple of weeks. He was talking about, you know, becoming our brother's keeper. One of the things that is illuminating us as Christians is that we actually care about our brother, that we take on the burden not that it's our responsibility, but that it is our joy to take on the burdens of other people. And then last week, if you remember, he uh, very uh, carefully walked us through the book of James. As you know, I've, I think the book of James should be taken out of the Bible. I don't know if that you agree with that or not. But it, uh, you know, carefully going through it with us, talking about the fact of being impartial as a church, that being able to embrace uh, people of all sorts and kinds and flavors and perspectives and ideologies and ways that we all belong here. We, God has got stuff to work on with us all, of course, but he was able to really share with us how important that was to the early church that we became a people that were not partial in the way that we interacted with other people. And then what I'd like to talk to you about today uh, to sort of to wrap it up as we've run out of July, amazing as that sound, we are now closer to this Christmas than we are to last Christmas. How many of you people are getting nervous about that already? How many of you have experimented with doing Christmas on Amazon.ca? Anybody done any of that yet? Okay, not yet. So that's got to get ready because we have crossed over the threshold. We have, we're over the hump, as it were, with the year. I don't quite know what happened to this year exactly. Maybe we'll get some record of it somehow, but each one of us are able to look at the final week now of this Burning Brightly and look at ourselves, and we're going to talk about something very specific, maybe a little bit challenging today, uh, but just to follow up then on where I ended last time I was here a few weeks ago, we were talking about the uh, woman who was, uh, the frantic woman who has found herself caught in the act of adultery, and how when Jesus came to her, he you know, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, if you remember that portion of Scripture. And then he said, if, if you follow me, you will find the light of life. And so he gave that clue to that woman, saying that the key to finding this bright light, which is life, which is effervescent, overflowing, glad-to-live-it kind of life, uh, is, is, is the byproduct or the end result of following Jesus. And so the question kind of should come up to all of us, well, where is he going? Because that's a very important discussion, particularly since you may, have, you may have read somewhere that Jesus left and he's not coming back. And so we do need to know where was he taking us? Have you ever gone on a journey? 
I got weird. Pastor Tina and I were in St. Catharines the other day, and she, I knew where she was going, but I, she put her directions into Google. Uh, and I knew that we weren't going to the right place. So I'm following Google dutifully as we go down to the opposite side of St. Catharines, which, because I, I pretty much remember, I, I don't know exactly where the place is, but I know it's all the way on the other side of town. It's very important if you are on a journey that you have a clear perspective of what is the destination. Can I say Ian one Google zero? <laughs> we did find where we were looking for, but it is very important for us to understand the destination. We're going to talk a lot about that today, and I think it's going to be a bit challenging for us as we go through this, so I'm going to get you to strap in a little bit. First, let me tell you a story. I was in the yard the other day. I was you know, I have my little routine when I go to, when we, the sun goes down and Pastor Tina and I are making our way to bed. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, you got to put the awning in and you got to put the umbrella in and you got to cover the pool and you got to do all of these kind of things. It's kind of like this routine that I work through and then I go around to the side and I take the goo out of the skimmer and I make sure that it's all clean and then I check the pump and make sure that it's all working. You know, you just do your thing. So I'm finished all of my rounds as I do that before I'm going into the house and I'm walking back through the garden, coming into the back door and all of a sudden, how many of you have noticed that we have the blessing of fireflies in our yards? Have you, anybody go out at night anymore? Do we do that or are there too many spiders here in Fort Erie? I'm and so the, I was, and I, 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 we have grandchildren and so, you know, my first thought seeing firefly, does anybody know what my first thought was? I need to catch one of those things because I want to show my grandchildren uh, how many of you ever tried to catch a firefly at night? The reason that you can't catch fireflies at night is because they appear in one place, and then what happens? They, they disappear. And then what do they do? They just reappear somewhere else, and then they disappear, and they reappear, and they just get these little twinkles of lights all over the place. And so it's very hard to follow. My story has got a point here. It's very hard to follow. It's very hard to chase fireflies. Because you don't know where they're going. I, I, matter of fact, I'm quite convinced they don't know where they're going. <laughs> and so all you're doing is trying to guess. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to work your way through this journey. Uh, exasperated. How many of you know that I didn't catch any fireflies? The only way you ever catch a firefly is by sheer and absolute luck. Or you have a very big net. <laughs> but the key of the matter is, is that, that if I knew where the firefly was going, Right, like I can turn the lights on and I can catch mosquitoes because I know the mosquitoes are gonna go to the light. But fireflies, I couldn't find them. I couldn't get a hold of one of them. And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today, that discovering the destination, when we are desiring to be this culture of light, we're desiring to be a people of light. But when we try to find out, you know, we're following God, we're following Jesus, but exactly where are we going? And there's so many destinations that are talked about in the kingdom uh, and discovering like what exactly am I supposed to be focused on down the road? Because how many of you know your decisions, your path, your, the way you live your todays is very much determined by where you are trying to get to by the end of the day? Where are you trying to get to by the end of the week, by the end of the year, by the end of your life? Where, what is the destination that you have declared that is where I'm going? 
And that is going to, you're going to filter, you kind of talk it like this, that the, you have a worldview, you have a way of understanding the world around you that is very much predicated by the decision to walk towards a very particular destination. And when we become Christians, it's very important, as we'll get to when I get to the end here, we're very important that we understand where was Jesus taking us? Because if we're to follow him, the concept of follow is different than the concept of let's sit around here and eat hot dogs. Sit around means we're not going anywhere. Follow means you're going somewhere. And where is that going that we are going to? Where is that place Jesus was taking us, particularly since it was only a few pages in the book later when he leaves and isn't coming back? And so we need to know, where are we going? And so the, when you look at, there's a kind of a grouping of these things, even in Christianity, we've kind of embraced a lot of these concepts, like I want to live the heaven life, which means that I kind of live my life with the objective of getting to heaven when I die. And what we're doing when we're doing that is we're going to make a whole bunch of sacrifices in or of, of some things in order to get that thing. Or perhaps you're living for the good life. And that is like blessings and get your personal desires and those type of things. Which as you know, most, a lot of Christianity over the last 50 years has really embraced the fact that God wants to live life and live it abundantly. But you know that there are sacrifices that need to be made when you're wanting to live the good life, when you want to live a life that is fulfilled in the area of personal blessings and those type of things. Then there is the significant life, which means personal productivity or, or perhaps accomplishments. And recognizing that oftentimes the good life and the significant life are perhaps different lives. You can often have to sacrifice the good life in order to live the significant life. Or you're going to have to sacrifice the good life in order to live the heaven life. Or you have to sacrifice the significant life if you're going to live a heaven life. Do you see how that works? We're, and we're depending on where is that destination? Where do I want to end up? And is it actually when I say I'm following Jesus, which means I want to have the life, which is the light, then I ought to know, where's Jesus going? And perhaps you maybe want to live the generational life, which means that you're living for the lives that your children are going to be living or your grandchildren are going to be living or, or generations down the road are going to be living. And so do you see how we're making certain sacrifices? Which ones of them are right? Which ones of them are wrong? Which should I make and which shouldn't I make? Well, if we're going to be people who are looking for the light, which is the life, which is Jesus, where was he going? Does he say one of these or some of these are actually the right thing? If you're like me, you can probably build a Bible study to say God is into you living a heaven life. He's also interested in you living a good life. He's also interested in you living a life of personal significance and accomplishment. And he's also interested in you looking after the generations that come after you. And so it's like, okay. If I'm going to follow Jesus, 
How am I possibly going to do that? If you have tried to even succeed at one of these, not, 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 I'm not saying all four. If you've just tried to succeed at one of these, you're looking at me going, yeah, succeeding at all four? Yeah, I, maybe Superman can do that. But there's like so many moving parts in this equation. You see, success is going to come. We know this. Success is going to come from forsaking certain destinations in order to focus on another destination. You can't spend your life going after the heaven life and spend your life going after the significance life. It's not easy to do that. You see, most people, they major on one of these four areas as a destination. That's what they're, that's the, the way down there. When I get to be 150 gazillion years old, that's where I want to end up. That decision is going to affect thousands and thousands and millions of your micro decisions that you are making along the way because that's where we're going. And I think Jesus had a lot to say about this simply because by having to do the burning bright equation, what we find is that where I burn bright is in the area where I have dedicated myself to be able to at least succeed to some dimension in one of those areas. If you have an amazing family life, then people look to you and go, wow, how do you do that? If you've got a ton of the blessings of God and the material things and money and all this, people come to you and they go, wow, how did you do that? You see, if you're a super, you know, high trajectile, kingdom living, God-focused person, then people who are looking for that are going to gravitate towards you to say, how do you, how do you, give, give me some answers here. You see, your light burns bright in the place where you dedicate yourself, focus yourself to be able to increase the wattage of, the, of your bulb. <laughs> but there's a problem in the equation. Life is actually about all four of these things. And when I often focus very hard on one area, what am I doing at the same time? I'm sacrificing another, but don't notice it at first. But what happens is, is that there's seeds that are going on, there's things that are building, there's momentum that's happening in all of these other areas that even though I'm gonna get to the end of my scenario and my one light is burning so brightly, but it's so diminished by all of the dark that is coming from the areas that I have forsaken. How many of you, a little bit, somewhat, how many of you know that there's somebody in your life that may be experiencing some of this? It's not that easy to be able to do it because the good life competes with the heaven life. The generational life uh, competes with the personal significance life. How many of you are familiar that the family life competes with the financial life? How many of you know that the others-focused life competes with the me-focused life? 
Now, does God want you to live long and take your vitamins and shower and do it? Yes, he does. He wants you to take, it's not like we abandon the me life and never take a shower. But how many of you know that an others focused life can often make us not pay attention to some factors in me? And sometimes I can get so me focused that I never notice that there's other people in the world. How many times do you walk down the bike path and you walk by somebody who did not even acknowledge that you were there? That's not normal. That's not human to do that. At least give them a nod, you know, hey, elbow bump. Wander around, elbow bump. At least acknowledge that they're there. We are, do you see how these, the, the, the problem becomes when you are shooting after one area, are you living an extreme life, extreme being defined as I'm really just centrally focused on one thing, then what happens is, is that my out of balance place actually causes me more negative than the place I've concentrated on produces for me positive. Did you see that? And so it becomes super important if Jesus said that the equation is you follow the light, which gives you life, not just life in one of these areas. I don't think Jesus was so good at doing one thing. What, crazy, what was crazy about what he was doing was he was doing all of them. He was living this 360 degree life and people were looking at him go, man, dude, how are you doing that? You don't even seem to be working that hard at it. But they said that the light was the life. What we're looking for is the light so that we can find the life. The problem is, is that when you increase the wattage of one light by cannibalizing the light from the other ones, it, you, you, there's no net gain here. And I watch people, they, they make the decision when they're in their early seasons and they start seeing some of these crises happening, there's, there's kind of two ways to go here. Either I sear my heart, just close my heart. I'm just not gonna worry about those other things. They're not important to me. I'm just gonna keep on living my extreme life. I'm gonna keep on going the way that I wanna go. Eventually you'll find somebody to blame or something to blame for all the problems and just let it all go away. Just be a single focused, monodimensional person that just accomplishes just the moon. I see people, some people do that. That's a really hard way to go. I see some people try to do that. Other people try to keep changing course. You know, if you're a sailor at all or you, you, you know anything about sailboats, you know, you got the destination down there, you can't head straight for it. So you just keep packing back and forth as you make your way down to that point. And people do that. It's kind of like living, let's say, in a way that is balanced. But the problem with balance is that, and people are starting to realize this, I think there's the younger generation just grew up, you know, kind of like so connected to all of the failures of other people. We didn't know our, how crazy our parents were back in the day. But the kids now, they know how crazy we are. <laughs> they know all, they don't have to fail. They saw us fail. They saw us do it wrong. And so they're seeing, I don't want to live extreme like that. 
Because I see the problems with living extreme and, you know, you, you go and be the, you know, the great, great big man, you know, whatever, but you, you don't know your kids' first names, you know. You go through all these things. They have a lot of money, but, you know, you're, you're kind of in the headlines every week, you know. Those so your reputation's shot. They see that. I tell you, there's another problem, though. And living the balanced life is a decision to live uh, a mediocre life. Because you're not really good at anything. Are you, you got a great family? No, but we get along. You got a lot of money? No, but I got enough. Are you significant in some way? Well, you know, my pastor knows my name. Am I living really hot for God? No, but I'm not backslidden. I go to church most once. You see, you're not, you just don't get very good at anything. And you notice after a while that, you know, that we are not made, human beings, we are not made for average. When was the last time you bought something you considered average? Never, unless it was 92% off. And you, you know, we're going to give it away as a Christmas gift anyways. Nobody likes average. No, how many of you woke up in the morning and said, you know, the, I'm going to learn a new word today. I'm going to learn the word mediocre. Nobody even likes that that word exists. Nobody wants to live the mediocre life or marry a mediocre person or drive a mediocre car or live in a mediocre house or wear mediocre shirts. Nobody wants to do that. Now, we all have different opinions about what those things are, but the whole concept that we are going to, if you're going to run away from an extreme way of living and run towards balance, when balance actually means that you're the jack of all trades and master of none that you don't accomplish anything actually important in life. Got it? There's no way that we can live that way. We just get so frustrated. And can I tell you something? The older you get, the more frustrated you get. But see, Jesus said, no, you know, but they saw Jesus and they said, man, you got life. Give me some of that. And you see what Jesus was pointing us towards was a different way, a different way. You see, we have so many people in the scriptures, you know, everybody we meet, especially in the gospel. I love the gospels because they're super real. You're meeting people from every walk of life. It's just like you can find yourself somewhere in the gospels. You are, your picture, your, your, your DNA is somewhere in somebody in, that, in those gospels. And we go all the way from Peter to the prodigal son. We go all the way from the, the, the exasperated young ruler to the desperate religious leader. We go from the woman caught in the act of adultery to the woman with the issue of blood to the very mother of the Messiah. And I tell you, they're all chasing fireflies. You know, let me that bumper sticker, don't follow me, I don't know where I'm going. We should all have those. Because you know what, there's, unless we are following, unless we are following Jesus and we know where Jesus is going, we're lost. And all of these people that were in the gospels that you read after them all the time, why were they running for Jesus? The rich young ruler ran towards Jesus, dropped on his knees. 
and said, how do I have the kind of life you have? I am up to here with trying to do this other way of living life. Help me find what you have. And so we come to the place now where we are, we are Jesus guys, follow Jesus. Where? Where's he going? I don't know if we actually have defined that. We just, it's like Jesus was the light. And so he's like the light. He says, I stand here and I glow. And everybody comes. No, Jesus was not standing still. You didn't come to Jesus to follow, to stand still. If, if we would have done that, then it would have, the account of Jesus's life would have been radically different. I want to talk a little bit about that. This is, can I give you some hope? Can I tell you something? These people that, that, you know, the, that we've read in the Gospels, you know what? They're some of the most famous people that have ever lived. Go ask somebody who the adulterous woman is. Oh, that's out of the Bible. Who's Peter? Don't give a last name. Just say, who's Peter? And they'll say he was a disciple of Jesus. I'm not everybody, but everybody, like lots of people. How many people know your name? How many people know my name? Not like this. Not like the rich young ruler. Man, the guy's famous. The woman with the issue of blood. She's famous for all time. But can I tell you something? She's not famous because she went after the Jesus life or because she went after the good life or that she went after the generational life or the significant life. These, the irony of this moment as we interact with these people in scripture is that they are famous. They are, their lives took on exponential levels because of what they did when they saw the light. Their example, their message to us is what do you do when you see the light? Jesus said, if you follow it, follow it to where it is going, then you will have life. The Lord said this to me. I'm very concerned, as you, as you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna go off on a tangent. I'm not gonna go off on a tangent. That we live in a post-Christian world. You could tell now. There was a debate before. But uh, March the 15th, we, it was all settled. We are non-essential. We live in a post-Christian, that's what the Lord said to me. We live in a post-Christian world, but we live in a pre-Jesus world. And that's interesting, eh? You see, people, wanna people need to find a way to follow Jesus. Not necessarily to follow all the other stuff. But we need to know where was Jesus going? Because that way produces light, which is the life. And everybody wants to go that way. At least everybody Jesus met wanted to go that way. It is exactly here that when we find a culture like the one we live in right now that is rejecting the extreme culture of focusing on just one of the elements of life, and we're also frustrated at the, 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 the option of living a mundane life because of trying to create enough balance that we keep our, all the plates spinning in our lives all the time. So where was Jesus 
pointing. Because I think, I think this is the issue. I think Jesus was pointing with his light. Because he was saying, follow me. His light was not like a lighthouse that was going to stand in one spot for the rest of its time. But in fact, his light was going somewhere. Like if you have a torch at the, at the front of a parade. You may not be at the back. You may not be able to see the person holding the torch, but you can see the torch. So you know, that's where I'm going right there. Because that torch is always moving. Because it's going somewhere. That in order to get this, this place, this destination, you have to go there. You know, can I tell you something? I have, I have been, since probably the beginning of my time when you actually read the Bible, I'm not raised a Catholic, but so we know the Bible is true and God is real, but you're not really encouraged that much. At least I wasn't, maybe other people were. I wasn't really encouraged to read the Bible because you can't understand that stuff. And then I was, you know, came and I really found out that you can read the Bible. And I started reading it. I was shocked. Because I'm a business guy at the time. Yeah, I was, probably still am, by your estimation anyways. So I'm reading the gospel. I'm seeing Jesus, you know, miracles. You know, you can market that stuff. Right? You'll raise a few people from the dead, man. You got, you got, you're set. YouTube picks you up, you know, you're, 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 you're something now. But can I tell you something? Jesus never did that. Matter of fact, Jesus did exactly the opposite. So in one voice, he's saying, follow me. And then another voice, he's saying, but don't tell anybody what I'm doing. You get a miracle? Shut the heck up. Don't tell nobody. You're going to create problems for me, Jesus is saying. I used to be able to, you know, I used to be able to meet in these little churches. Now I got to get auditoriums. You know, it's like, don't tell anybody. Can I tell you something? You cannot overstate the importance of the fact that this guy who could raise the dead, feed 20,000 people with a filet of fish sandwich, walk on water, did not promote himself. You cannot overstate that. Matter of fact, I think that is the most important, one of the most important details of the gospels themselves. That Jesus wasn't focused on Jesus. Now we build Christianity. We're following Jesus, focused on Jesus. I'm thinking to myself, that's not what Jesus did. Listen to me. I know I'm, I'm going to beat you up. I, I know. I'm going to mess with you. But we're going to bring this plane in for an amazing landing in a few moments. But come with me. If you are, if you possess in you sufficient humility to say, perhaps on March the 15th, when they declared that we were not essential, perhaps our light is not sufficiently bright. Do we possess that much humility? So if it is not, then do we also possess the ability to say, let's figure out how to make it burn bright. Because Jesus burned bright. Jesus changed the world. The world, no, and no dispute, the most influential human being that has ever lived. If you are, a, if you are a, uh, uh, an anarchist, 
an atheist, anarchist, whatever the next one would be, there's still no disputing that Jesus was the most influential person in history. Changed the world. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of God. How many times in the New Testament? Do you know? 65. 65 times he referred to himself, not as himself, but as the Son of somebody else. Jesus proclaimed that God was his Father 54 times. Jesus went about preaching and teaching about the kingdom of Jesus. No, no, no. Who? God. Jesus says that we are to do the will of the Father. And that Jesus came, that these are... Uh, the book of Matthew is full of kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 8, do the will of the Father. Matthew 11, came to reveal the Father. Matthew 14, came to do the will. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And that's Gethsemane. In John chapter 6, Jesus came to earth to do the will of the Father. And so Jesus was here, and his life wasn't pointing to his life. His life was pointing to the Father. So if we are going to follow Jesus, where's Jesus going? Jesus is pointing us to the Father. Everything that he did, almost weirdly, was to not bring attention to himself, but instead to point us to the Father. I'm doing what God is telling me to do. I'm going where God is telling me to go. I'm doing the will of the Father. I'm here to show you the Father so that you can follow me, which is the same as following the Father. And so what we did is we turned it all into a religion that followed Jesus. We come here and we sit down and we, we, we bathe in the, uh, the bask in the glow of Jesus. But he didn't do that. He didn't want people to be bathing in the glow of Jesus. He wanted people to get to the Father. Now that, and I, and it seems a bit disjointed, but I'm going to bring it all together in a moment. Listen to this. Go, go with me to John chapter 1. Are you in there in John chapter 1? <laughs> verse 6 to verse 9, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll give you a paraphrase, Ian's version. It says, there was a man who came, but he wasn't the light. But he was a witness to the light. Who are we talking about? Anybody? John the Baptist. And then that witness was going to show us the light, right? The, 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 the baptizing Jesus, right? This is the Son of God, right? Remember that moment? John's uh, mandate, his mission, his purpose was not to draw attention to himself. Although that was happening. John the Baptist was more famous than Jesus for a long time until Jesus shows up. And then they had the war that went on between the two ministries. They were Google warring as they, I'm sorry, is that a different story? Do you know what happened? In, in, uh, in John chapter three, John the Baptist is there and he's, he's talking to them and he's saying, I, what? I must decrease. He did the other way around. He said, Jesus must increase, 
and I must decrease. What is that talking about? That's talking about John the Baptist was a pointer. He was just here to go, you point. That's what his job was. And then when his job was done, that's him. Right there, right there, right there. No, 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 no. The other guy, other guy, no, that guy. I must do then once that's done. I must decrease and he must increase. I'm all familiar with that, right? That's a good thing to do. In John, in, in uh, John chapter 16, maybe not putting, didn't put this together, Jesus comes to us and he says, I must go so that somebody else can come. Hmm. John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus once he pointed, decrease, increase. Jesus points to someone and then decreases in a sense, doesn't decrease, goes to heaven. Goes so that somebody else can come. See, when you're talking about follow me, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, Jesus is going to point to the Father. That's the answer. The answer is that you get to the Father. And if you want to know how to get there, I'm going to point to somebody else. I got to go. It's better, John 16 says. It is more profitable for you if I go. So that, because there's going to be an exchange here, when I get there, when I get to where I'm going, I'm going to tag someone, and that someone is going to come here. And when that someone gets here, you're going to be better off, way better off. Pastor Alex kind of alluded to this last Sunday when he said, Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made to stop being the word of God in its transcendent form and allow all of that to be placed inside of a single human being. For all eternity, Jesus is now a human being. You know, I, so, I was so challenged when he was, I was sitting right there when he was talking last week and I'm thinking, man, I've always struggled with one thing. Always. Praise the Lord for Pastor Alex, wherever he is. Probably figuring out how to get Buffalo online. Hi, Buffalo, by the way. You're awesome, you people. <laughs> they asked Jesus, when is the end times? I mean, you're God. You know everything. And he says, no, I don't know. He didn't know because he's a human. Now, see what he gave up? So the father knows that because he's still his father. I had to go from the word to be a human. I had to come here. But the reason, what was Jesus doing? How do we actually do this? How do we live the life that Jesus is talking about? He says, it's profitable for you if I go. I diminish. I make room. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I mean, diminish is not a good way to talk about Jesus. I make room. I'm going to go over here so that somebody else can come and fill my spot. Does anybody know who that someone is? That's the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for just a moment. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. Let's go. Let's start somewhere else. John chapter 1, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, name Jesus. And Jesus was full of grace and truth simultaneously. We talked about this in previous weeks. So you cannot have a truth without grace is tyranny. But truth with grace empowers the person to grab hold of that truth and go through the journey of making it their own, right? I have, a, I have the grace to pursue, pursue the truth rather than be judged and condemned by it the very first day when I fail. Jesus releases the God components of grace and truth in such a way that it is inspirational rather than diminishing us as human beings. Every one of us now on a path of grace and truth to become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus every day. They had all of that opportunity in the Old Testament. The only problem is, as soon as they encountered the truth, it diminished them. I know this hurts. It became death to them, Paul said. Because when you can't reach the mark, it diminishes you because you failed. And now you are less strong, you're weaker when you try the next time. Because now you have a previous failure in your past and your hope is now adding in this failure, this diminishing, this humiliation of failing last time. Do you see how that is? Grace is, removes all that. Grace just says, dude, have another go. It's a game. It's fun. We're all in the game together. Nobody, nobody here on earth got this. We're all just figuring it out. Let's just figure it out, have fun together, have coffee, donuts, as we do it, right? And that takes, the, takes all the pressure off so I can now start to work my way through the, the, the internalizing, the, the, the process of truthification in the inside of me. Does that make sense to everybody? That's who Jesus was. Now let's take a look at what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, what are the names of the Holy Spirit? Look, Hebrews chapter 10, it calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of grace. In John, if you remember the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, for chapter 14, 15, 16, talks about him as the Spirit of truth. And then Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4 refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. And so what was happening here? Jesus is saying, follow me. But what he really was doing then is he tagged the Holy Spirit when he left and said, the Holy Spirit is going to be your guide. What do you do with a guide? You follow them. You're counseled by them. You are, you are empowered by them. You work out your, your stuff with them. You're, 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 you're on your journey. The life that makes us burn so brightly is a life where we are nurturing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. What happens to us when we make it about, let's just sit and, and, at Jesus' feet. I'm not saying don't sit at Jesus' feet. I love, please. I love sitting at Jesus' feet. But can I tell you something? It is the mechanisms of the Holy Spirit that cause us to burn bright. And let's discover a few of those as we go on. So I told you all that to tell you this. Are you still with me? Creating a culture of light, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus 
who points us to the Father. That's how this works. Following the Holy Spirit empowers us to put Father first in our lives. When we do this, he causes us to supernaturally excel in all four areas of our life that we talked about earlier. Balance is good, but divinely accelerated balance is the mechanism of a truly successful and enjoyable life. You wanna write that down? You might tweet that stuff. A divinely accelerated balance is the mechanism of a truly successful, enjoyable life. We talked about this before. Romans chapter five, one to five, peace with God, peace with the Father, tranquility, provision, security, safety. That's what that word means. And that word, grace, produce, this peace produces, next verse, this grace. The grace that is created because I have peace with God. When Tina and I are fighting, not that we ever fight, never fight, no, no, we perfect. But should that ever happen, there's no grace coming back at me. You want a cup of tea? Get it yourself, right? Your leg, you got legs? That's, that's, of course, that's not true. It's not true that we even fight, so. But you know when you're at odds with somebody, the grace diminishes, right? You get your own breakfast. When the grace is down, you're on your own. Isn't that true? Peace with God means that's restored. Everything is absolutely, perfectly, 100% between you. There is not even, he don't even remember that there used to be a time when you guys were mad at each other and holding back from each other. Completely solved. Think about that with almighty God. Knows everything, can do anything. Has lots of cash. Almighty God is your best friend. Think about that. What does that do? That produces a grace that gets like, whoa. Like what's, I can do anything. I can't fail. I can do anything. Nurture that. Next time you have a problem, I have my, you know, can I introduce you to my best friend? His name is Almighty God. What does that do? That produces a hope. A stupid hope sometimes legitimately, irrational hope, crazy hope. What are you going to do? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I, I'm, I'm just going to let God do it. I believe he wants to do it. He's, he can do it. Even if God didn't do anything, can I tell you something? You hoping that he will do something is giving him, this is key, key, key. You got your notepads out? Hope is the essential human contribution to the supernatural forces that are right now constructing your tomorrows. Does that, is that less than 150 characters? Hope is the essential human ingredient that we have to give God in order to ignite the spiritual forces, faith, hope, and love, that are constructing our tomorrows. When we know 
Jesus is pointing us to the Father and everything. See, Jesus' relationship with God is because they were cool. Jesus never sinned, no debt to pay. Him and the Father, completely simpatico, zahelu, what's that word? Connected. Because Jesus was so connected to God, everything, how's it gonna work out? What are you gonna do with this dead guy? I don't know. God's gonna, I don't know, I guess raise him from the dead. Can God do that? Oh yeah, almighty God. How about the 20,000 that need lunch? Yeah, we can do that. Need to walk on water? Yep, I can do that. You know why? Because his, his relationship with God was so tight. Nothing between us. There's no reason why God wouldn't hold me up when I step on the water. No reason. Why would he make me wet? Why would he make me wet? You see, his relationship was so amazing between him and God. It was like for perfect. This is what Jesus was showing us. This hope that is created when we have this confidence that God is actively involved and that because he's actively involved, he's gracing us, doing stuff for us that we don't even deserve. That's the nature of the word grace. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. The fact that you don't deserve it, oh God, I screwed up, perfect. Because if you had not screwed up, then it wouldn't be grace. Oh, I made a mistake, perfect. I'm so stupid, perfect. I'm the weakest person, well, perfect. That's what you need. You need to be a screw up to get grace. Jesus didn't need grace. He never screwed up. <laughs> when is this over, Ben? I know what you're thinking. When is this over? <laughs> Believe, what you gotta do, just work on that. Jesus, you, God, you love me. You love me, I'm your favorite. I'm your favorite, I'm your favorite. Let's see that, I'm your favorite. And then believe in that grace. Just say, I think it's gonna work out. Just say that, just say that with me. Everything is gonna be okay. Did you believe that? To make you feel better? And say, okay, say this way. Say, Jesus, I'm always gonna have more than enough. You feel better just saying that. It may not, you may not think that's even true. You still feel better saying it. Imagine what you do if you work on that for a while and you actually start believing it. Sucker. Everything is actually gonna be okay. That's hope. That's what it feels like. It just feels like, woo! Honey, let's just go to Starbucks. I don't know, everything's gonna be okay. The Holy Spirit, is, okay, I'm gonna close. Ooh, 26. Holy Spirit, Alex was late last week. Last week. Did you remember? Do you remember? Forever enthroned. Last Sunday, forever enthroned. Holy Spirit empowers us to put Father first, just like Jesus did. Everything else is supernaturally optimized when you do that so that our lives excel in all areas, making our lives burn bright. This is where you clap. Seriously, that's how this works. So here we go, thank you for clapping. How many of you are up for a 30-day challenge? Before I tell you what it is, put your hand up if you are up for a Pastor Ian 30-day challenge that will not cost you a dime. Put your hand up if you are still in for a 30-day challenge. All in. Here's what we're gonna do. 
Number one, you got your pad, notepads out, phones out, recording devices out. 30-day challenge, that's the month of August, so I've given you a few days to prep. How does focusing on the Holy Spirit change our daily routine? We're going to do some work to make our daily routine look like we are wanting to follow the Holy Spirit. Number one, 30 minutes every day, every day. Say this with me, 30 minutes every day. Pray in tongues. If you don't pray in tongues, we can help you with that after service. 30 days, 30 minutes for 30 days. Number two, journal for 15 minutes a day. What do you write down? Whatever you like. Before you journal, I want you to read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Don't have to read the whole thing, but read some of it. Every day. Are you all in so far? Put your hand up again. 30-day challenge. How many of your people are still in? Oh, the crowd has significantly diminished. <laughs> and number three, that's 15 minutes. So far, we're 45 minutes committed every day. This is August, by the way, so I know none of you are working hard. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit for the Father's will for you for today. And write that down. So number one, 30, this is our 30-30 challenge. Pray in tongues for 30 minutes a day. Journal for 15 minutes a day. And just ask the Holy Spirit, take 15 minutes to ask the Holy Spirit, what is the Father's will for you to do today? Don't expect that he's going to tell you to go and lasso the moon on day one. He's probably just going to say, how about making your bed? Something simple. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of God that he's going to get you to go and move to, you know, someplace you don't want to go. Am I done? Is that why you're here? Put your hand up if you're committing to 30-30 challenge. Amen. Right on. August, you can even start early. You can do 36 days if you start today. Praise the Lord for that.